Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to A Musical Journey Like No Other. This is 33 with William Patrick Corgan. This is the 29th step on this interstellar musical expedition. We're just four steps away from the peak, the pinnacle, the zenith, the top of the mountain, the epic conclusion. Shout out to Austin Idol right there. We're continuing to follow the story of the new Smashing Pumpkins album, Autumn. Don't forget, the first two acts are available on your favorite streaming platforms. If it's your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. If you've been with us since the very beginning, thanks for being fans. Thanks for tuning in. We're getting so close to the end. On this episode, we're going to have another world premiere of a song from the album, Autumn. We'll be listening to and analyzing the track, Harmageddon, with Smashing Pumpkins frontman, Billy Corgan. On this episode, we're listening to a classic track from 2008 with the single, Glow, G-L-O-W. Kyle, buddy, we're headed to Chicago for NWA 312, our next big wrestling event. Big wrestling event. First full week of April. We've got a book signing, a pay-per-view, television taping, a portion of the proceeds going to help the families impacted by the July 4th parade shooting in Highland Park. For those of you outside Chicago, the pay-per-view is available on our streaming partner, Fight. All the details at nwatix.com. And then we're off to Australia for World is a Vampire Tour, Smashing Pumpkins, Jane's Addiction, more music, more wrestling, down under. 
I was going to do all those plugs. So now I don't have anything to say except, hey, make sure you rate, review, subscribe, share, do all that stuff. Be on iTunes, Spotify, iHeart app, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you're following 33 podcasts. We're almost here to the end of it. Where do we go from here? No one knows for sure except for Billy Corrigan, and he's going to tell us sooner than later if the journey will continue past autumn because, let's face it, right around the corner, the album release date's happening. Also, I want to let you know, just because I keep on saying this, Worlds of Empire, if you're not going to be in Australia, maybe there will be other opportunities in a more local thing if you're in the U.S. Who knows? Who knows? I've got my feet on my ground my heart in the sky. I've got an office set up behind me. I don't know what the future brings. Billy, what's the future going to bring for us? I have no idea. Damn. I'm sort of bleak today. This is the bleak, bleak Billy Corgan. What happens to me when I overwork is I enter a weird zone where I'm, I call it a fugue state, which is probably a, a malparism, but yeah, I kind of enter this space where all I can do is work on music and I start to fry. That's my other word. Like the Disney movie where your brain goes, sprockets start to come out so i'm a bit bleak this is the stuff of good music though this is why people like me <laughs> otherwise i don't think they have much to like me for so there's a sort of a rainbow at the end of this uh, magical carrot journey but uh yeah once i enter this state getting ready to go into another recording session plus we're going to Los Angeles in a hot second to shoot another video. I think we're going to have an appearance on a major radio show and some other stuff I can't talk about. So heady, heady, stressful, exciting times, not particularly in that order. But does that somehow trigger more inspiration for you? Does it somehow trigger like some more of the creative juices, like it's the greatest pressure makes diamonds? I'm a big fan of pressure, but uh, you remind me of something that a guy I used to see who did EMDR. If you don't know what EMDR is, please look it up. It involves breaking brain loop patterns. A very successful technique for me, and many of my friends have tried it and, and also reported success. But um, this guy I saw for EMDR, he was a clinical therapist, psychologist. So he would start the sessions by sort of analyzing you, and then you get into the EMDR. Again, look it up if you don't, have, uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about. And one day I was talking about how I wasn't sleeping very well and, you know, the, all the stuff I'm telling you about, this kind of fugue state stuff. And he goes, oh, I get it. And I said, what do you get? And he said, well, I get why you kind of like being in that space. And I was like, actually, I don't. It kind of makes me crazy. He said, no, but it gives you more access to the creative unconscious. It gives you more access to the stuff of art. So bad for life, good for art. I guess that's a sort of little window into the at least his opinion on why artists tend to want to be stressed, overworked, overtired. And um, of course, many are on various forms of pharmaceuticals, not me. I try to do it on natural, which I guess lends itself to more kind of daily insanity. I'm not a bender type. I'm just a one long bender. So basically you're saying that you are basically the stereotypical tortured artist. I'm not a tortured. No, I recommend edibles no, for sorry. stress. I'm not offended by what you said, but I've, I've heard this many times through the years, like is art cathartic? I think we talked about that once before. You know, I, I used to say, you know, people love this idea of the artist rolls out of bed on heroin and writes a hit song. Honestly, I don't find that to be the case. I think the true work of an artist is very solitary, very quiet, and just involves a lot of thinking, processing, and long hours. I can't speak for everybody, but that's been my case. I don't think it's very dramatic. The results are dramatic, especially when you hit home run. And I've hit a few, plenty of triples and doubles and stuff like that. But uh, getting there for me personally, and as I said last week, this process that I've re-engaged in this, let's call it the Siamese dream kind of working process, it's about to drive me nuts. I mean, I literally sit at the kitchen table at night eating my dinner with the kids, like staring 
we call it the 10,000 yard stare. You know, you're staring off into the abyss as Nietzsche said. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't see, but I don't see this torture. I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm rambling about it, but the torture thing I think is kind of boring. I think it makes for good movies and stuff like that, but it's, it's really not true. You know, I've been in a recording studio like 20,000 hours. <laughs> There's nothing dramatic going on there. It's like watching Howard, you know, scratch his nose and press play. So next time you see a rainbow, ladies and gentlemen, just remember that could be the thing that triggers Billy Corgan's next hit song. That would be a, it would be a, a gray, a gray rainbow. Anyway, <laughs> let's talk about autumn. Isn't that why we're here? You know, you, you go on a sure. journey, you get lost, and then you realize where you're on the journey. Autumn, Harmageddon, Harmageddon. I considered Charmageddon. I thought that was kind of funny, but Harmageddon just made Jimmy laugh, so that, that, that stuck. Harmageddon, where are we in the narrative? Last we saw Shiny and Ruby. They were in a solitary room without furniture, having a very kind of intimate discussion as only a pure consciousness and immortal soul could. And here we are now. Now we turn back to Harmageddon. And what do we have? The classic movie scene where the bad guy, or in this case, the bad people, are hunting the prey. The prey in this case is Shiny. Who's hunting Shiny? Well, the X and I is still after Shiny. Now that Shiny's disappeared and they're and he's off their radar, they're definitely after Shiny. And of course, who's also hunting Shiny? Osira, because she's determined that uh, he is a blight upon the world and he must be and here's the word of the day, eradicated. I'm glad that you brought that up because when I was listening to the song, one, rockin' again, I think as far as like, you know, I, I like to listen to your music and I kind of picture, you know, when I hear these tracks, where am I going to be where I'm really going to enjoy this track? And this is definitely one of those ones I want to play right after Empires when I'm at the gym and I'm really cranking and going because this is just rocking. And then the feel that you get from that is the feel of the chase, the feel of, you know, there, there's impending, something's coming. Like, it's almost like the train is coming down the tracks. That's the feeling I got from it. And so it's so interesting when you say word, that part of the story where you have two different, two different entities that are out there, both trying to get to the same thing first. Well, in this case, too, for different reasons. In terms of the X and I, they're not really sure what Shiny's going to do. They sort of thought he was safe. And now that he's banged off with Ruby. They're not really sure what's going to happen next. Osira, of course, is very disappointed in Shiny's lack of fortitude in forging a new path, a revolutionary path. So not only is he dangerous to the cause as a sort of anti-hero or let's call it a limp force, but he's also dangerous now because he's become a symbol of, in her mind, the, you know, the opposite side of the street. The, not the opposition. It's not the right way to put it. A fallen hero can oftentimes be a poor reminder. If you look, and we've seen it many times, and we've talked lately a lot about Elvis, when somebody dies, that's the end of one journey and the beginning of another. And we've seen it with many notable figures, whether it's Michael Jackson, Prince, Elvis, of course, Kurt Cobain, where after the death, and particularly even more so, I think, if the circumstances are somewhat tragic, where those vested in the story start to take the story over and turn it to their own end. And the story that they end up in oftentimes doesn't really resemble the story that actually happened. Many people have asked me if I saw the Elvis movie, and I said, no, I don't really want to see it. And a lot of people really liked it. And I said, I'm sure it's good. He's a good filmmaker, and I'm sure it was very entertaining. But the fact of the matter is, I could tell just from watching the previews that the Elvis story as put on the screen, at least the most recent adaptation, is a fictional account of a truly 
unique American story, so why would you fictionalize a truly unique American story? Well, that's Hollywood for you. Like we talked about when I gave my little Babylon movie review, reality is no longer as interesting as the one you want to make up. So someone like Elvis just becomes fodder, for lack of a better word, wrestling a hint of the day, for whatever narrative you want to tell. And you can bend the light however you want. Now, of course, in the case of somebody like Elvis or even a Kurt Cobain, the life is so vast and the myth is so vast that you can bend it about 50 different ways and still come up with something. In this case, Shiny's myth has taken on a life of its own, and Shiny's myth to the X and I is greater than Shiny's actual value. Or is it the same value? That's one thing to consider. And then in the case of Osira, him is an anti-revolutionary figure. In essence, he's the copped-out man who's uh, given up, at least in her eyes. Then Shiny becomes a myth of In essence, his living and doing nothing becomes dangerous to the cause, where he would probably be better off not there. He was safer in in the heavens, but now he's on earth walking around capable of saying just about anything. Again, I'm rambling a bit, but these are esoteric points to try to make in a quick narrative, and certainly the song does a better job of getting to the the point of why both these forces are after Shiny. I don't know if I'm the only one that does this, but knowing how many tracks we have left and this feeling like that calm at arms, like everybody's just getting ready on both sides, just go to battle. It it makes me feel like I don't know how you're going to wrap this up in just several more tracks. That's what I'm feeling right now. I'm feeling anticipation, but I'm also feeling, well, I'm looking at my watch. I see there's only so many hours left in the movie or so many minutes. And I'm like, how are they going to pull this off? Well, that's the stuff of uh, mythology, right? Here's the thing. It's not really a dodge, but here's the thing to think about. Um, life really doesn't have beginnings and endings. We like to think it does, but it really doesn't have beginnings and endings because there's the mythological story of before you were born, like, you know, who's coming in, then the story of who shows up, then there's the story of who you become, then there's the story of what you actually do, and there's the story of what people invent around you, and then, of course, when you pass away, they invent another story, which oftentimes doesn't resemble, as I was saying, um, the actual truth. So in my estimation... The reason I'm sort of interested in these characters, Glass, Zero, and Shiny, Shiny being the latest iteration, is that it it doesn't really need an end. And that's not to say there isn't an end to this story, but Shiny goes on with or without me, Zero goes on with or without me, and Glass will endure no matter how many times you break them into little pieces. I think that's a good note for us to take a quick break. When we come back, you'll be listening to a world premiere of Harmageddon. This is 33. Harmageddon. Harmageddon. 33 with William Patrick Corgan. Now available for pre-order at MadamZuzus.com. The autographed 4LP box set of Autumn, the new album by the Smashing Pumpkin. This 4LP colored vinyl pressing is limited to 1,333 units and will be machine numbered and autographed by the Smashing Pumpkins. Billy Corgan, Jimmy Chamberlain, James Eha, and Jeff Schroeder. The limited edition box set includes the three-act, 33-song rock opera that is Autumn and 10 exclusive unreleased songs over the course of five seven-inch singles that will not be available for streaming or found anywhere else. Go to MadamZuzus.com to pre-order today. Free shipping in the USA, three-unit limit for order. Pre-order will ship after April 21st, 2023. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If 
if you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainer, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back, friends, to the 33 podcast. This is William Patrick Corgan, your intrepid and sometimes focused host with your co-hosts, Joe Galley and Kyle Davis. In the break, we were talking about Harmageddon, the song title, and Kyle said he misread it as Hamageddon. So uh, we'll let your mind wander on that one. But no, it's Harmageddon. And yes, uh, this is a refutation of those who are still moaning and droning on about synthesizers and Smashing Pumpkins music. I don't believe there's any synthesizers in here. And if there are, they're carefully hidden for your rock pleasure. So please enjoy. Sit back. And if you saw us on the most recent tour, you might have heard this song towards the end of the set.
Welcome back, music fans. You just listened to the world premiere of Harmageddon, or as Kyle likes to call it, Hamageddon. Do you know Harmageddon? You want a little lunch, Kyle? Are you hungry right now? I'm You're starving. starving. You know, full <laughs> disclosure, people are always asking me as a vegan, do you miss eating meat? And usually it's on summer days when people are doing cookouts, you get that smell, you know, that barbecue and smell. I do have my kind of miss my meat moments. But lately, for about six months, I've been really jonesing for an Italian sub. Like good mm. old-fashioned Italian sub. Mayonnaise, cuts, Italian dressing, cold cuts. Mm. So uh, we're trying to introduce a Italian sub at Vegan, obviously plant-based, uh, for summer. Billy's, Billy's Italian sub. So um, now you got me thinking about food. Um, you know— uh, on the break, the gentleman here asked me, what do you want to talk about in this segment? And I thought, you know, let's jump off in this particular thing. I was uh, perusing the news, as you do, scrolling, banging and scrolling, and uh, <laughs> banging and banging. And I saw this uh, unfortunate headline, and I didn't know this, but Jewel, the famed singer of my generation, or our generation, I should say, our shared generation, certainly a beautiful and talented woman. I've met a few times on the Six Degrees, if you were wondering. Very nice, Jewel. I saw where she's come out and said, and maybe it was in a book, so maybe this isn't a recent thing, but of course, if you see it in a headline, it is the news of the day, said that uh, her mother, who was her manager during those years, stole $100 million from her. So let's just take that at face value. Let's just say that her mother, and it must have been horrific if true, stole this money from her, and stole could mean a lot of different things, but let's, again, take it at face value. It made me think about how little most people know, and this might be a boring subject, but if you bear with me, I'm, I think I might be able to make it interesting, how little people think about the economics involved in music. So here's a quick jumping off point. We got offered a really bad contract at the beginning of our musical journey. We didn't sign it because my dad said it was a piece of you know what, and we would have been in sort of indentured servants if we'd signed that deal. We did sign a deal which was very lucrative and very standard at the time, but basically, it put us in about a 14-year record contract. We had to fight lawsuits, and we got that contract reduced. And part of the reason the Smashing Pumpkins are who we are today in terms of uh, artistic capability and width and the ability to release our own archives goes back to a deal we made circa 1997-98, where we were able to achieve ownership of certain rights, including things that were recorded in, quote-unquote, in contractual terms, in term meaning that any recordings that we made in term, generally would speaking, would be the right of the record company because you were under contract. We were able to separate those rights. So, for example, that's why a concert from 1993 that I have possession of is actually owned by this entity because we have the right to put out our own recordings and stuff like that. But most people don't really think about economics with artists vis-a-vis artistic capability and freedom. There's a reason many years through the business— People have hidden those things mostly because they're somewhat ashamed of the bad deals that they're in, and it kind of kills the gimmick if people realize you're in a bad deal. We were lucky enough, and I was stubborn enough, that we were able to wrangle certain rights that are sort of very unusual for our generation. So certainly when I read a headline like that, I think, thank God I had a good lawyer. Thank God I was never ripped off to that degree. I've been ripped off in different ways, but certainly nothing like that. So I, I can only feel for someone like Jewel because I can't imagine the situation you would be in if you thought you'd made all this money and it had been stolen. And then one other six degree of separation, people might have heard a few years ago, Alanis Morissette and we at one point shared the same accountant. And usually accountants in music tend to work in LA and be kind of a 
certain club. They have to work within the business. It's hard to explain. And there are positive and negative reasons for that. But we shared the same accountant, and it came out that this shared accountant had stolen, I believe, $4 million out of her accounts, had a very bad gambling uh, debt that he was trying to kind of steal money and, and kind of kept trying to win and kept getting worse, you know, like a bad movie. And he ended up stealing about $4 million from Melanis Morissette, uh, another sort of tragic situation. Again, so when you see sometimes artists out doing things that you wonder why are they doing that might be sort of economic reasons behind the scenes that sort of force them out in the public. Is this at least set up to something interesting? I think it does. No. I, I, I think it does. <laughs> Did you say no, Kyle? <laughs> I was, I was going to go with what Joe was saying by saying, no, it absolutely does. But Joe beat me yeah. to it. So Joe, keep on and beating I, me. I think what it also opens the door is it opens the door, I think, to the, the possibility of so many different characters out there and the nefariousness that comes with that person and the story that comes with that person deciding to turn that corner, maybe not initially wanting to go into the music business in order to screw people over to take money from people that's not there but eventually something happens to them to where it it becomes something that they do maybe they get tempted by it and then it ends up having this cascading effect where it actually has a lasting impact on the artists themselves and then the art that people enjoy from those from them so i mean if you take a look and you just look at like for instance i just pulled up an article from la weekly of the the 10 worst music managers of all time Number one being uh, Jerry Heller, according to this list, the the music manager for the rap group NWA, who allegedly skimmed funds from them as well. So it, it's something that seems to be sort of pervasive and almost a cliche in the music industry that you're going to have a manager that's going to try to do something that's going to benefit them a lot more than it's going to benefit the artist or the audience. I think one thing to look at, and this is sort of a colloquial way to put it, but the NBA and the NFL have started taking the financial security of their athletes more seriously than they ever have before because what was happening was the same types of situations. Kids were getting with bad agents. The agents were either ripping off their money or the kids were surrounded by bad people, bad influences. And, you know, they'd have a four or five year NFL career, make 30 mil and end up with nothing. And so the NFL and the NBA have started taking these things more seriously. I would assume Major League Baseball has a similar program to make sure that the athletes come out of their experience, however short, in the major leagues with a positive experience so they can go into the community and say, it was good I was in the NFL and and a positive story because they can't deal with the blowback. As we were talking about recently, you know, mental health is something that really needs to be focused on within the music business. And of course, we've been talking tangentially about bullying and, and fan culture. But there's plenty of bullying that goes on in the music business behind the scenes. And I won't bore you with some of those stories, but let's just say I've had my career threatened more than once, probably more times than I could count. You know, and then they throw out things like, you know, think of your fans when all they're thinking about is their pocketbook. It's a little bit boring. But what I'm trying to say is that, and somebody even asked me the other day, does the music business take the mental health it was actually on a wrestling podcast that I did for an interview for the N- N- our wrestling N- NWA. And I was saying that mental health in wrestling is something that I think is uh, something we need to focus more on. And I would say the same thing in the music business. The music business has been very slow to align mental health with positive experiences, with people making the money and keeping the money. Imagine if Jewel had had the advantage maybe of a different setup in the 90s and I had a different advantage. I was lucky. I had a very good lawyer who was very protective of me. Um, and that's why I have a lot of these rights, but I could easily sign things away. I can certainly tell you some of the biggest names in the world that you would have no idea that they signed stuff away that cost them 
literally hundreds of millions of dollars because on, on that given day, somebody put a piece of paper under their nose and told them to sign it, and they didn't really even know what they were signing. John Fogarty, the great singer-songwriter, of course, of Creedence Clearwater Revival, recently, after 50-plus years, just got his songs back through the Concord Music Group, which is a great deal. And full disclosure, I went out of my way to uh, send a congratulatory email to uh, Mr. Fogarty, who I've met a few times, because I just think it's such a great thing. But we have, unfortunately, have more negative stories about those sort of things than positives. And so I guess there's some sort of fugue in here between understanding that there should be no shame in the game for artists to be worried about their financial resources, because if you love that artist, you would want them to not only be successful and rewarded for their efforts, but also be in a secure place where they can make good artistic decisions. And that's something that I started talking about in the early 2000s, and I was completely pilloried by my own fan community. At one point, I offered a subscription-based model where people could watch me making an album. I think it was something like a dollar a day, and it was 95% negative comments. You should do it for free. Where are your fans? How many more CDs do you want us to buy? Just screaming bloody murder at me. And of course, now these, these models are everywhere. And I really think that you're seeing it you know, with artists even today, you take a look at, you know, my fiance is a huge uh, Taylor Swift fan. And if a song comes up that's not Taylor's version of the song because someone else owns the rights and is getting money from the album, she'll change it. She'll change it and get to another song because she doesn't want to listen to it knowing that Taylor's not making any money from that particular stream. See, I'm, I'm not going to wade into that particular controversy, but let's just say there might be another side to that story. Let's just say really? that. Yes, let's That's just say that that there are things that are, there's actually a lot of stuff out there in public about that battle, and there's some behind-the-scenes stuff that I know. But let's just say there might be another side to that particular story. But to Miss Swift's uh, credit, she's done a great job of controlling the narrative so that she comes out looking better than, say, the other side. That is a case, a very tricky case. I've had many people behind the scenes ask me for my interpretation of that, and I would say of the 10 people I've told uh, my version of to it, uh, of it, uh, I would say all 10 walked away with their jaw open saying, I had no idea. And that's a very interesting way to look at it. So, um, but I don't want to wade into it because uh, I don't need, uh, first of all, I think she's a fantastic musical artist, certainly very gifted. Uh, I, I think the demand for her stadium tour was the equivalent of 900 stadiums full of people. So the largest demand for a concert tour in the history of person kind. So all credit to Taylor Swift, and I'm certainly not here to throw stones, and I've publicly defended Taylor Swift at different times. So, But let's just say that there may be a different side to that particular story. I was going to say Midnight was one of my favorite albums of the last year, and you don't want to fight the Swifties on this. So I'm glad at the end you came around and said, hey, we're all in peace on this. I mean, I this is not I a battle have, we want, ladies and gentlemen. I still have Michael Jackson fans uh, mad at me for something I said where I was not being critical of Michael Jackson, but it was interpreted as being critical of Michael Jackson. So the Michael Jackson fans will still pop up occasionally. You know, truth be told, I've actually talked to Paris Jackson along the way, who's a Smashing Pumpkins fan. And I think Paris even recently uh, maybe covered one of my songs. Can't remember. There's some sort of affiliated thing that went on. So all credit to Paris. Also a very nice person. Yeah, I'm, I'm not here to pick any fights, but I guess what I'm trying to say, and maybe this is the gray space of what we're trying to get at and why a podcast is a good form, is there's a lot of gray space in the music business. So let's start here. Let's take it simple because I think uh, we can at least share some things that are worth talking about. You're a needle in the haystack. Uh, as I once said, and you're found, and they immediately start telling you in the music business that you're nothing and without them, you'll never be anything. 
So they immediately start negating your special gift, if you have one, and setting you up for failure so that they control the narrative of your success or failure. In essence, they can profit more from your success because you're sort of on one knee already. And if you're a failure, what's easier to push you out the door because you're already weakened and you probably won't put up much of a fight. And the music business to this day is still uh, built on those principles. All you need to do is talk to any artist who's been in the game for over 20 years who can't get their royalties and how the record companies routinely hide the royalties and make you audit them to get money you're contractually due. And then when you actually show that you're due these monies, they put you in a situation where you have to sue and or negotiate against your own right. Uh, and I've been in that fight about four or five times over the last 15 to 20 years. That usually falls on dear old Bill here to uh, win those battles for the pumpkins at all. You just mentioned royalties, and actually we were talking about management and all this. I was thinking of Barry Gordy, you know, once upon a time, hey, here's $500. I own you for the rest of your life. And royalties about that. But the royalties thing on a less malicious note is Joe and I randomly discovered a trailer for a program called Beef that's coming out, and there's a Smashing Pumpkins song right on top of that trailer. So I had to ask, how how does that work? Who reaches out to you? How does this happen? Speaking of royalties, obviously there's some sort of thing, but not even financially. How do you get your music on everything now? Um, well, let's go back one step. Uh, you mentioned uh, Barry Gordy, and it's not a defense of, of these practices, and you sort of threw out $500, you know, it's a sort of, a, uh, let's call it a, I'm guessing, gotcha. example. You got to remember, that's the way the music business was back then. And again, it's no defense of it. But almost every artist up until the 1970s was completely ripped off by the music business, the Beach Boys, the Beatles. The Beatles sold, I think, 95% of their publishing around 1965 or 66. So imagine what that cost the Beatles, if you want to do some math there. To your question about how your songs get licensed, there are people that plug songs for you, but you tend to get on a roll, and uh, the music supervisors, particularly maybe because the 90s are hot lately, um, will uh, requisition your songs. The rise of streaming video services like Netflix, because they put so many more shows into production, uh, I've seen a huge rise in my syncs. So when you see something like that, I'll get a request. Hey, here's the use. They want to use it. I have turned down some things that are particularly gratuitous. There was one scene I can think of where they wanted to use my song with somebody was, I, I, I shouldn't say the scene because I'll get myself in trouble, but let's just say somebody ended up getting shot in the head. <laughs> to, to my song. And sometimes, you know, it's a, it, it is an economic thing sometimes when you have a very famous song and somebody wants to use it because obviously it's a famous song, but they don't want to pay anything for it. And they'll cry poor because, uh, you know, we're an independent movie or, you know, da-da-da. And so you have, and, but it's like market forces. You have to sort of say, well, this song's worth X and this song was on the Super Bowl and got Y. And, you know, you have to kind of play those battles. And then uh, it's complicated. I'll do. I'll give you quick. Uh, I'll give you a quick lesson in music business in under two minutes. So when an artist records, they generally speaking would get a master recording royalty. So when Kyle plays on his famous hit song uh, "Hamageddon," Ass Puncher. No, Hamageddon. Ass Puncher went nowhere, uh, but Hamageddon's rise into the top with Bullet. So you would get performance royalties for actually playing on that song, and that would be negotiated with your your fellow band members. Joe Galley and Velvet Sky, and Tim Storm. <laughs> and then uh, if you wrote the song, so let's say you and Joe wrote the song and you decide to split it, so then you, we had 50% of those things, but then you would probably have a music publisher and you music publisher would collect your performance uh, royalties. I mean, not your performance royalties, your song royalties on that, and so they would take a cut of that. Then, of course, you have sometimes accountants take cuts, sometimes lawyers take cuts, 
And uh, of course, managers take cuts. So then you do all the math there and you're lucky to get a penny out of a dollar. There's your music business lesson in under two minutes. You also get merchandising for your t-shirts. If you haven't done one of those 360 deals where you sell those in your record deal, which oftentimes happens to younger artists where they sell their merchandise rights early on. And then, of course, you have your what you make from a concert. Isn't there also sometimes they will forward you the money for production costs that you owe them back and then also touring, which no, no, you stop. also owe back? And that's other the, great, like that, that's no? the greatest scam. That's right up there with some of the greatest scams ever. And this is the record deal we signed in 1990. They loaned us $30,000 to record Gish, which we had to pay back. So we spent $30,000 to record Gish with Butch Vick. Once we paid back the $30,000, they owned the record. <laughs> Good, right? Wow. <laughs> so it's when like, we negotiated in the late 90s, and I, I said we got certain rights, we got some of those rights back, but we had to fight to get rights back that we had given away in exchange for the cash. So it's like a mortgage. The bank's paying me. Basically, I'm, I'm getting the money from the bank to buy my house. But once I pay off my mortgage, the bank goes, yeah, cool. We own your house. The house is ours now. Yes. <laughs> and if you said no to that, um, they would say, okay, we're just not going to sign you. I can give a recent example. It's connected. I hope this follows. There was a recent example where someone, a big label, big famous label name, was interested in the Sear album. Uh, the feedback came back. They said, they're very interested in it. They said, it's the best album you've made in years. They'd really like to be in business with the Smashing Pumpkins on the Sear album. I said, great. They came back and said, okay, you're doing this big tour. This would have been the shiny and oh so bright tour in uh, 2018. They want to do the record deal with you, but they only do the deal with you if you package your album sales with your tickets, because you're going to estimate to sell at least 300,000 tickets on this tour. So you're going to force everybody who buys a ticket to buy a record in order to come to the show, and they'll only sign you if you do the package deal. So I said they don't really care about going out and selling the record in the market. They said, no, they want the guaranteed sales. So if they'll take the guaranteed sales then they'll do the deal with you. And I said, no, because we're just getting back together with James. We're doing this big tour. We're obviously adding additional cost. And then there is the kind of the blowback. We call it like maybe the U2 effect where you force people to buy something. And so then they kind of pseudo resent that you're forcing them to buy something that they may or may not want. Um, so yeah, so we lost that record deal because I refused to do a deal that would be bad for fans. There's an example of an economic thing where it would have been to every advantage to me slash the band to force our fans to buy a record, we would have sold over 300,000 albums of what became the Sear album. Might have been the Shiny and Oh So Bright Volume 1 album. But either way, might have been Sear. But uh, yeah, we'll force everyone to buy, buy, the, buy the record. I'm not here to cry foul about the deal we didn't do, but like, you don't get any credit for that. <laughs> like, your fans don't love you more because you didn't force them to buy an album. But that does have an effect on the financial decisions you make and your ability to navigate in a very crowded market. And of course, there's the old father time aspect of you've been releasing records for over 30 years. Do you still have a validity in the market? As we've shown recently, I think in the last year and a half alone, our monthly Spotify listeners have gone from 8 million to 10 million just in the last year and a half. So that's, that's exponential growth if you really look at it. So those are numbers that do count. And I like to think that those numbers have everything to do with the fact that we don't take advantage of our fans when we easily could have. So that's my pat myself on the head moment of the day. When we come back, <laughs> what is our cluster track? Glow, G.L.O.W. Named in honor of the famed TV show, Glow. If you know what I'm talking about, you're chuckling. If you don't, well, we'll just skip past it. 
See you in a sec. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit RightRug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. I'm so alone. I'm so alone. I'm thinking. I'm so alone. I can't get it on.
Welcome back, music fans. You just listened to Glow, the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. At least that's my reference for it, Billy. And you alluded to it when we were tossing a break here. Is that really where you wanted to get the, the name for this? Or does G-L-O-W stand for something else? Uh, it was a little inside joke. I wanted to call the song Glow. And then I thought it'd be funny to uh, throw the people's, the people's off. You know, it takes me back listening to this song because um, let's go a little bit inside the pumpkin's bubble here for a second. 2007, Jimmy and I publicly come back with the Smashing Pumpkins with the Ginger uh, Reyes, now Pooley, on bass, Elise and Harrington on keyboards, and a young Jeff Schroeder, a spry young Jeff Schroeder on guitar. Took a lot of guff. This isn't the Smashing Pumpkins. This doesn't count. Of course, uh, Nine Inch Nails had less original members than the Smashing Pumpkins, but somehow we were the bad guys. Continue, continue. Uh, we were pilloried in Pitchfork for, God forbid, having different album covers. Didn't Taylor Swift just have different album covers selling the same record? Don't knock the Swifties. I, I I'm not knocking Taylor Swift. No, I'm, I no, think no, it's but I'm saying we were, There's other we bands were, that do it too. We were pilloried by Pitchfork for, God forbid, not only selling uh, different color covers, but the different color covers oftentimes had different songs in them. How dare we uh, rape our fans? And maybe that's not the word. It was something, some, something akin to something horrible. Stup, maybe is a nicer word. So it was a contentious time, a contentious tour. We did a 20th anniversary tour, uh, which Jimmy <laughs> Jimmy wisely <laughs> or unwisely called 20 years of sadness. We never in a million years thought the 20 years of sadness would be read by people as a celebration of the Melancholy album. So all these people showed up for the show thinking we were doing a melancholy tribute to her. <laughs> so they were mad. Uh, we did, uh, I think we did it s- five or six times. We played two nights in a row and we played 48 different songs over the two nights. We didn't repeat any of the songs. So if you went to both shows back to back, we did 48 songs. I mean, I thought the tour was fantastic, but people were very mad throwing stuff at us, uh, booing uh, as we played 25-minute versions of Pink Floyd songs and stuff like this. So coming out of this contentious period, or I guess somewhere still in it, um, we got an opportunity. Guitar Hero wanted to use a new Smashing Pumpkins song. So management at the time, long gone, came and said, would you like to record a new song for Guitar Hero? Great, you're going to be in the game. They put me in the silly suit with the little white balls, and I jumped around and acted like myself to be a cartoon character forever after. If you if you watch the game, you can tell because it, it's got the it's got the the even the video game has my bad posture. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm still working on it. And so Jimmy and I went in the studio, in Memphis, actually, uh, where some of the uh, most famous big star recordings were made, plus Staple Singers. I can't think of the name of the studio at the moment. You could probably look that up, Kyle, since you're the intrepid uh, where Glow was recorded. The name's on the tip of my tongue. It'll come back to me right as the podcast is going off there. And Jimmy and I recorded two songs, Glow, and then a song which is uh, heretofore still unreleased in the vaults, a kind of a cool, cool ballad. And what was interesting about this is Jimmy and I had every intention of fighting forward and continuing on with the Pumpkins brand. So Glow is a little weird hint of where the band would have gone if Jimmy had not left the band. I believe Jimmy sort of think, I think Jimmy thinks he quit, and I think I think I asked Jimmy to leave. So I, I'm going to take the bullet on this one. I think I asked Jimmy to leave. We were not getting along at the time. And, uh, and, and Jimmy was out of the band from that point on for seven years. But Glow is a little small window into where the band would have gone 
And I think it holds up quite well uh, as a rock and roll track. I like that you had an interview with the LA Times at this point, and you said, we finally turned the corner. It's starting to feel like our music again, not theirs, whoever they might be, <laughs> Jimmy Chamberlain, all things are gold. And then within months, boom, out the window. It's almost like you were going, you know what? I want to tell everybody that we're back and then we're going to leave in our own little way. Also, the thing that popped me about this is Guitar Hero. That is definitely dating this. But the thing that made me laugh about this, other than this is the first ever digital 45 on iTunes released in 2008. And also the music video premiered on MySpace. Who was in your top eight? Tila Tequila, I believe. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. You brought me back. You know, it's funny because the good thing about these kind of talking around the campfire parts of uh, the podcast is you bring me back to certain memories that I didn't necessarily have coming in to talk about these things. I just remembered that we were asked to play the Guitar Hero launch party. So I believe we were in Guitar Hero 4 or 5. So they did this thing where they rented this big kind of warehouse space and all the employees, maybe it was Ubisoft was the name of the company. I can't remember. Rock, Rockstar Games, one of those types of things. So they're throwing this big party for all those employees. That's the big launch of Rockstar. And the brand had just about peaked or was on the way down. But somewhere it was, it was, it was heady times. So we show up, and instead of a red carpet, there was a black carpet, because it's rock. And I was wearing uh, my, uh, my spider getup, if you know uh, that getup, uh, friends. The spider shirt with the, the silver uh, skirt. And at that time, uh, we realized, okay, it's basically, yeah, you're playing a party, wink, wink, but it's really a corporate gig, for which we were not paid enough. But, you know, you're playing for the thing, and there's going to be press, all the stuff that managers say to get you to do stuff you don't want to do. So I was in a particular mood that day. So we played all our darkest, weirdest stuff. <laughs> and I just remember looking out at the maybe the four or 500 employees and families that were assembled. And they're all standing there with their free beer. And they're looking up at me in the, in the spider getup. And I'm doing a really weird version of White Rabbit by uh, Jefferson Airplane. And I think uh, we are also doing Sounds of Silence. If anybody wants to look up our version of Sounds of Silence, a person I know was playing with Paul Simon in his touring band, and they went out of their way to play our version of Sounds of Silence for Paul Simon, and he, and he watched about a minute, shook his head, and walked away mumbling. So <laughs> uh, if you get a chance, look up our version of the Sound of Silence by Simon and Garfunkel. And so if you can imagine us playing the darkest, heaviest, creepiest, weirdest cyber version of the band, and by the time we got to 1979, people were just sort of muttering and walking away. And then we got in trouble by our managers because we had offended the people from the video game company. <laughs> so it was a fun time. Uh, if you obviously you listen to the podcast, everybody who's listening to this right now, you get to kind of get an inside track of who Billy is when he's not on stage. And if you want a more of an inside track, there actually is a YouTube video of him recording the motion capture for Guitar Hero World 4. So if you want to see you talking about, like, I'm so happy to be in a video game, you could play as me, Jimmy Hendrix, Ozzy Osbourne, Zach Wilde, and you with a little ball suit on, You there's footage. There's yeah, a minute they and a promised half documentary me, online. See, okay, now you're bringing up another memory, and this is perfect. <laughs> they promised me that they would not use the footage of me in the stupid suit with the little white balls. So that video had come out before we did the party. So that may have had a little something to do with the fact of why we did what we did. Because, of course, everyone's like, oh, Smashing Pumpkins played a party. Oh, we get to play the hit songs. Da, 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 da. And, and we showed up and we gave them the exact opposite. And, um, yeah, I have, good, I have good memories. I could see myself on stage. I could see myself looking down at the people with the free beer and just the look of horror on their face. And I'm thinking, I'm in the right place right now. <laughs> 
<laughs> Does that sound right? It's, it's I wouldn't a say I'm vin- it's a I wouldn't say I'm, it's a power move for sure. <laughs> now I wouldn't say I'm vindictive. I would just say I believe in uh, equality. You know, for a guy who's got feral uh, hound's teeth in his mouth, vampire teeth, you know, tooth for tooth, you know, that's me. Watch out, Billy's gonna bite you. Can we? Can we? Can I'm we? I'm so cut happy that out? we That's got the share of this today. <laughs> that did sound pretty weak. <laughs> no, but Billy's I said it so you, you could keep it. <laughs> I will say, full disclosure, I have many fans through the years, mostly female, not all, come up and talk to me about my teeth. Most of their fantasies involve something to do with my teeth, so we'll leave it there. Glow to the party, to the release, to my teeth. Anywhere else you want to go before we get off this podcast. I have one more thing about this. This song was a complete blind spot for me in my Smashing Pumpkins fandom. So when you mentioned it and I Googled it and I came up with all the information and saw this, was this ever on a record? This was just a single, right? A stand- I can't find this ever yeah, being standalone released. standalone single. I think it was released on a compilation. No, I'm wrong. No. There was a promotional CD that came out. I'm pretty sure. I have to ask the major fans amongst the crowd. But I'm pretty sure there was a promotional item. I have some copy somewhere of me actually in the getup from Guitar Hero. So me as the avatar is on the cover of that. I'm pretty sure. Uh, you're jogging my memory a little bit. And this is this is where I get a little fuzzy on these types of things. Because, you know, the 90s are really easy because it was like release, 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 physical product. Once you got in the 2000s, it started getting a little weird where nobody wanted to spend any money because the music business was very down. And you had to beg people to put things out. So my guess is there's probably just a promotional CD. Speaking of begging people to put things out, I just set up my record player over here. I got a vinyl collection. I'm starting. This was a digital 45. I like the tangible actual records and albums. And I got to be honest with you. Can you give us any information? When can I get Smashing Pumpkins back catalog again? Is this ever going to happen? Actually, full disclosure, there are Smashing Pumpkins back catalog vinyl items currently available at Madame Zuzu's. Chloe went out of her way to procure some stock. They are way, way behind. I don't know if you just saw the news this last week, speaking of um, things in the news. Metallica just bought a pressing plant. Actually, the pressing plant where Smashing Pumpkins presses its vinyl archive projects stuff. So Metallica now owns that uh, pressing plant. I believe there's only two or three pressing plants in all the United States. I think Jack White owns one. Metallica owns another. Jack White actually posted, I follow Jack on social media, and he posted congratulations to Metallica for entering the vinyl fray. Somebody sent me that. It was probably Corrine sent me that headline, and I said, I know exactly what this is. And she said, what do you think it is? And I said, well, they're probably not able to get enough of their records pressed, and it's probably costing them a lot of sales because you cannot get enough vinyl pressed. I mean, Siamese has been on back order forever. They finally pressed some copies. We had Melancholy the Box set on back order. They asked us how many we wanted to procure for release. I think we got 1,000. It's a high price point on that because I think there's six or eight records in that set. We sold 1,000 sets in one day. Speaking of that, there's still a few remaining autographed copies of Autumn at madamzuzus.com if you want to get those because they're almost gone. And when they're gone, and they will go, I guarantee what will happen when the record finally comes out as physical product, everyone will rush around to figure out where the other box sets are. And when they realize there's only a few left at Madam Zuzus, they will go right away. You're a part of the crowd, those listening. You're part of the crowd who actually knows what's going on. Most of the general public only pays attention to the headlines. So when people see that Autumn is actually physically released here in uh, late April, early May, 
uh, people will rush around and try to scrounge up the copies that are valuable. So again, if you're interested in the autograph box set, uh, again, the price point is high, but there's a reason for that scarcity and the fact that they're autographed by all four Smashing Pumpkins members. On that note... Smoky vinyl, sexy. We'll get you a free copy. On that note... Yours won't be autographed, though. Um, on that note... <laughs> I, I just want to... Yes! <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll scribble uh, to, 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 to Kyle from Bill. I'll sign it for you, Kyle. <laughs> and I can I can forge a very good Jimmy Chamberlain. So I'll forge Jimmy Chamberlain for you, and and I'll sign as Bill. That's always my way of saying I don't want to sign. Billy, why is your guy backstage trying to get autographs? If you're really, the really here, show in here's Australia? super inside baseball. Uh, there are people who are professional autograph hunters who chase me all over the world trying to get my autograph because, of course, they want to sell them on eBay. I can't blame them; it's commerce, and I'm a capitalist. But uh, I don't like the fact that people hunt me for my autograph, particularly at hotels, particularly when I'm trying to eat dinner, say, with my family, and they pretend they're a fan. And, you know, the trick is always to ask them what their favorite songs are, and they go, uh, uh, smells like teen spirit. And um, so oftentimes when I'm not really sure that I'm signing an autograph for a fan, and I think it's uh, somebody's just going to sell it, I'll sign it as Bill. So if you look on eBay, you'll see that some of the autographs on there are actually signed to Bill with an upside-down cross. So on that note, uh, it's a tribute to uh, my, my alter uh, teen self, Bill, and of course, uh, Lord Satan, who dominates all of metal, and the occasional autograph, and of course, Doug Goodman, our former tour manager, who, uh, who told uh, a friend of ours that uh, he worships Satan, and he's not going to change his mind no matter what, and he loves Slayer. For Doug Goodman, for Joe Galley, for Kyle Davis, for Velvet Storm, for Tim for Velvet Storm. Oh my God, I just got them married. Velvet Sky and Tim Storm. For Bjorn Thorsrud, who helped us record uh, Glow and is somewhere up in heaven, uh, gambling and winning. Uh, this is William Patrick Corgan. We'll talk to you soon. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Spentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. 
Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.